What a sluggard you are, I reproached myself. When you're face to face with a girl of 18, you wait covetously for her to fall in love with you. Why wasn't it you who took the offensive? I know you hesitate because of that strange uneasiness of yours, which comes from you don't know where. But if that's the case, why did you ever visit her again? Think back. When you were about 14, you were a boy like other boys. And even at 16, you were keeping up with them on the whole. But how about now, when you're 20? That friend of yours said you'd die when you were 19, but his prediction didn't come true. And then you even lost your desire to die on the battlefield. Now that you're 20 and you're at wit's end with calf love for an 18-year-old girl who knows absolutely nothing. Phew, what splendid progress. At the age of 20, you're planning to exchange love letters for the first time. Haven't you maybe made a mistake in counting your age? And isn't it also true that you've never even kissed a girl? What a sad specimen you are. Welcome back to Literary Guys. I'm author Zachary Kellyan. And I'm Dr. Gordon McAllen. And we're talking tortured homosexuality today. I think that quote speaks volumes. It digs into a issue that I think a lot of repressed individuals suffer from, which is this idea of watching life pass them by mm. and judging themselves for wow, you don't seem to have accomplished what it looks like other people around you seem to have done naturally or without effort, without trying, and questioning as to why that is. In this case, it's very clear what that is. I, I will admit that I've gone through some of this myself, so it's, it makes a lot of sense to me. The quote is about saying, well, you were never motivated to do any of these things because it's actually not you. That's someone else's life that you're talking about, of trying to form a relationship with a girl who you think that you should be attracted to, but you're not. And in this case with Sunoko, the character here, that she, in a heteronormative type environment, would be the object of his lust. But instead, he hasn't done anything. And he starts to beat himself up over this instead of asking the deeper question of, is that even what is right for me? And I think that's what's really interesting about so much of this book, actually, that it's about this very strong ideology at the time, a very heteronormative, honor-based mindset of what a man is supposed to be and that there is no leeway from that. And so I, I watch our main character here, um, Kochen, who is just beating himself up over this instead of actually examining who he truly is. And I, I find deep sadness in that. These are the Confessions of a Mask by Yukio Mishima. And yeah, I agree with you. You know, I can't relate to this character's struggles, I think, the way that you can. But just as a human, I can see the torment laid out on every page. And the exhausting lengths that he goes to to try to convince himself otherwise from what he already knows. I mean, he knew from a very young age, 13 maybe, that he was mm -hmm. gay. Or probably even younger. I think even younger he, he at least had those, what he calls those urges. And yet he constructs so much artifice around trying to be quote-unquote normal that it leaves him almost unable to live either life in the end. It's extremely tragic to see this human being suffer to that extent and the, the suffering that he causes in doing so. Well, we jumped right into this discussion. You can blame me for that today. <laughs> in today's episode, we're going to be talking about roughly the last third of mm -hmm. the book. 
we're going to talk about the courtship of Sunoco, the end of the relationship with Sunoco, and sort of the end game of this, which I think is not what I would have expected from a novel of this nature. But okay. then again, this novel doesn't follow any sort of traditional narrative in my mind. It basically just has a character arc. But even where that arc is going is not terribly clear. Yeah, and certainly this narrative structure of Confessions of a Mask was unique for its time. It's kind of blending Asian and Western influence into a whole new art form. So even if you were one of his contemporaries in Japan, this would have felt a little bit outside of the norm. A lot of his other works, uh, later works, this was only his second novel, later works such as The Sound of Waves and The Temple of the Golden Pavilion follow a much more common narrative arc than this one does. But I think if you look at this more as a memoir, it kind of makes more sense in terms of why he structured it the way he did. For a novel that deals so deeply with homosexuality, that there actually is no homosexual love in the story mm. beyond the confused childlike love that he feels towards Omi in the beginning of the novel. In fact, most of it is in this love of wanting to fit in to society and the courtship of Sunoko, who throughout their courtship, he actively avoids. He yeah. finds reasons to go work at the war plant, essentially, which is very likely to get bombed. I think we talked about that before. He doesn't go out of his way to pursue love. When it comes time for him to feel like it's appropriate to kiss her, it's an incredibly awkward scene that is not driven by lust or what I would say is the pleasure of a kiss, but it's driven by this desire to kind of check that box. Yeah, and not even his first kiss. His first kiss, if you remember, was somebody's aunt who is a war widow who starts making out with him while he's suffering from a fever on the couch. It was a very strange scene, but that was his first kiss. And immediately, probably because of the nature and an unwanted approach of the kiss, but also because he is a gay man, didn't do anything for him sexually. But it's interesting that that alone wasn't enough to convince him of his true identity because then he just said, well, maybe it's my feelings for Sunoko that has kept me from feeling anything from this other female's touch. Mm -hmm. And that it, it just must be her kiss that I'm longing for. And it's just the, the mental gymnastics that this character keeps putting themselves through is I can only assume an accurate representation of somebody trying to fit in. And yeah. it really is, it's just heartbreaking for anybody to read. And, and certainly knowing the actual life of Yukio Mishima and how he later went back into the closet becomes all the more tragic, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What did you think of his complete inability to ever identify fully as a gay man. I think he honestly identifies his urges mm -hmm. and his desires, but at no point does he say, I am a gay man, I am a homosexual. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is just the type of character that this is? Because we're also dealing with somebody who's deeply depressed, which might not even be related. They might be two separate things there. Yep, yep. But also, at least if we're to judge from this novel and the way he paints wartime Japan, I don't know if this individual had any mentorship in terms of what a gay man might be or any examples of gay men living their lives. I have to imagine that he didn't. Okay. And I think that's really problematic. Like... Men who are straight are presented with a limitless number of heteronormative standards right. in everything that they do. And it creates this sense of both listlessness of like, well, I don't understand like where I fit into this. It feels like something's wrong. 
but it's also the sense of otherness or of, of the other that you constantly feel like you are having to overthink everything because what seems to be commonplace and natural and automatic for other people for you it's not and I think it is really important for people to have role models Mm -hmm. or to be able to just say okay Here's something which this other person seems to be going through. Maybe they're not dealing with it the way that I think that would be appropriate, but at least I can see that they're feeling something which I'm feeling myself, and therefore I can feel free to explore it myself. And I think that's really a big deal here because I, I feel that he's never going to explore who he is until he just accepts the fact that he is different in one way or another. Otherwise, the pattern of this novel is just going to continue to repeat itself. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that kind of academic detachment he almost has for it, where he's he's just trying to rationalize everything. And I think one of the advantages that I can now see from having friends in the LGBTQ plus community from reading books like this is that my sexuality was allowed to grow very organically. And with at least with this character... You know, he's trying to rationalize everything. Towards the end, he has some kind of knowledge of homosexuality outside of Japan. He speaks about it very scientifically. Like, I understand the Germans, there's more homosexuals in the German society. Not drawing the connection that maybe it's just more of a progressive society where people Mm -hmm. are allowed to be more open. He's like, well, and I think I read that Michelangelo maybe was. And so he has some vague knowledge, but he doesn't have anything that is prescient. And like you said, a role model right there in his life. And I think that really opened my eyes up to how important that must be for gay men and women in America or elsewhere. Absolutely, yeah. Did you have any gay role models growing up, people who you could see living authentically, who you could then help make sense of the world for you? I really don't think so. Hmm. Not to say they didn't exist. It just wasn't something which I was exposed to. I think later on, I can look back and I can say, oh, you know, these were people who were gay or who... I could have had as role models, but I just didn't understand at the time. Like, yeah. you've got to get to a certain point. There's an irony here of, like, call it gaydar, for lack of a better term here, that in order to understand who is acting authentically and who is maybe going through a very similar experience of being in the closet, that relating to other people who are in the closet is very difficult because they're trying to do everything they can in order to not appear as if they are actually gay right and so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that particular regard and that makes it so insidious i think as i got older that i did start to have role models who i looked at from a cultural perspective who i think were very influential i think i've said many times that one of the things that for me was truly important was actually tim cook the CEO of Apple when he came out. Mm. It was kind of a known secret, I think, that, that he was gay. But the courage there of someone who super smart, was in a field that I was in, and the ability to say, you know what, I think it's important for people to know this. I'm doing it actually for other people, not for myself. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even understand that at the time. It's so important. It's not just enough to know that there are other gay men out there. I think you need to find ones who you personally relate to in a level that is not just about them also being gay. Mm. I think you need to see some of yourself in them in a more personality and day-to-day 
Otherwise, it seems like something so different, something so out of your heteronormative lifestyle that you can't connect the dots to it. And so I, I think in that particular case, and I'm not saying that there aren't others, just it's one that, that was important to me. Like, I could connect the dots there. That makes perfect sense. I think that that's something that is true for every man. I think, you know, as we develop our ideas of masculinity, you know, you've made this comment several times on the podcast, I believe, but it took it took me a while to kind of embrace some of my own intellectualism. But growing up, a lot of my male mentors were my wrestling coaches or, you know, my dad's side of the family, which was mountain people from West Virginia, you know, who had a very specific idea of what it meant to be a man. And it wasn't until I kind of got out in the world and was able to see other men who lived artistic lives and who embraced intellectualism that I was able to kind of rediscover that element that had always been there myself. And I'm not trying to minimize sexuality by saying, I, you know, it was the same. But I, I think it's easy to understand when you put it in that context that men of all shapes and sizes, of all makes and models they need examples that they can relate to and that can kind of be that beacon as they go through that journey from boyhood to adulthood i think that's a good segue into sort of the ending of this novel that a few things happen and it does tend to be driven by other characters Mm -hmm. the first one is i believe it's the brother of sunoko yep who forces the issue of like so are you gonna marry her which I can only imagine is something that happened in Japan all the time because if what we can understand from the culture from this book, it's like no one's actually saying anything. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's being upfront about their wants or desires. Is it any wonder that someone could be in the closet when it appears to be an entire society that's repressed, at least from mm-hmm. Yukio Mishima's portrayal of it? And so it was interesting that his longtime friend, Sunoku's brother, reached out to him and was just like, Hey man, like I've been appointed by the family. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to write a letter to you and to just say what's up and like if it's a no, we're still friends. It's cool. If it's a yes, that's great. We could celebrate. It was actually a very well-crafted letter to kind of take that yeah. pressure off the character. Because that's the way these things should operate now with a letter written by someone who is neither of the parties <laughs> who are interested. I think I can get behind that. Are you proposing a new substitute for grinder? I'll go through the U.S. mail. There are proxies upon proxies. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It couldn't be worse. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it was an interesting moment. It kind of let him off the hook a little bit. But then, you know, he almost got this gift, right, where he could save face. and So true. And yet he didn't let himself off the hook. Because even after he says, you know, I'm, I'm only 20. I don't have a lot of prospects right now. Maybe marriage isn't in the near future for me. He still kind of pines, for lack of a better word, for Sunoku because she was the closest he had to yeah. living a normal life. And he continues to torment himself long after she's married to somebody else. Which is, again, something which I have felt myself. Mm-hmm. I, I know other gay men have as well, that... They get the courage to do the right thing and walk away, and then they're back in not only doubting themselves, but from a societal standpoint, we as humans do not value singleness as much as being in a relationship, and it can seem like a darker place, and which is not necessarily in any way true. Like I think that that's something which has taken me a while to get to, which is you got to find the right thing for every person. And that is, I think you were telling me earlier, poly-solo? Solo-poly, I think, (laughs) yeah. Um, But that's another podcast that we have where we talk about new emerging 
sexual partnerships, which I like to call keeping it real. Um, so yeah, he's, he's now kind of adrift after Sunoku marries somebody else, but still we find him trying to convince himself that he's straight mm-hmm. and it's just his lack of experience with women that's kind of put him in this state of arrested development uh, to the point where we go through this very sad scene where this kind of sketchy new friend he makes right, right, right. Uh, brings him to a brothel. From a academic sense, I very much enjoyed this part of the novel because I think it was very accurate to post-war Japan brothels. Um, Kazuo Ishiguru, uh, the recent Nobel Prize winner, wrote a marvelous novel called An Artist of the Floating World that really delves into that red light district of post-war Japan. And so it seemed like probably Yukio Mishima had had some personal experience with this as well because he Mm -hmm. details the scene, unfortunately, very accurately. Yeah, and things do not end up going well with this prostitute, which, I mean, giant shocker, it wasn't going to. And again, it just further reinforced his otherness from the world that he so much wanted to be part of. Well, and not to not to add any fuel to his fire of confusion, but I couldn't have gotten it up in that situation either. You know, there's this very unattractive prostitute. He specifically picks the least attractive one. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got half her teeth rotted out. She insists on tongue kissing to start the whole thing. It, it's a very unerotic scene for anyone, gay or straight. So then the novel ends with a meeting again between Kochen and... Sunoko. And it's very clear that she has grown as a woman and that he is still in the state of arrested development. Yeah, she's talking about sex and being coy. And she, yeah, she's a woman of the world now. And I think that that's really interesting from a perspective of growth that she did grow. And I would argue that when you are authentically yourself, you grow much faster. I think so, yeah. I think that there is a lot of truth when you look at individuals who feel like they are outside of societal norms tend to often have stunted growth socially. Yep, yep. Yukio's proxy in this novel often talks about how he's like socially inept and you know can't have any intimate social relationships, let alone actually sexually intimate relationships. You know, there's a quote when he and Sunoku start meeting up again after she's married to another man and they've kind of run into one another incidentally from time to time and Mm -hmm. have agreed to just 30 minutes every couple months just basically sit and small talk. There's this painful quote that I think it's clear Sunoku still harbors feelings for him. Mm-hmm. And it's clear he still wants to harbor feelings for her. And so they're, they're sitting in this meeting and they kind of both come to the conclusion that, to paraphrase the text, what they have, this limbo that they're in, mm-hmm. is a meaningless plus, which is at least better than a meaningless minus. And I thought that idea of just inaction mm-hmm. and that maybe the not knowing is better than the, the harshness of the knowing is so relatable for anyone who's ever lacked the courage, the conviction, the ability to take that step in their lives. And we see that with both of these characters in this torture that they're putting themselves through. I mean, it seems like Sunoku married a good guy. He saved Family House after the Allied occupation, threatened to take it away from them. He's got a good job. You know, he's treating Sunoku well, but she's still got these latent feelings that she's trying to navigate. And it's just better, rather than cutting the main character off completely, you know, she's just willing to just have him in the life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for him to just harbor that hope that maybe... 
you know, even after he's already given up the chance at marriage and, and already had these failed sexual encounters with women, maybe there's still some chance the spark will come, you know, late into his 20s. It's mm-hmm. so tragic. Yeah, it's very difficult to read. But again, I think that's what happens. And without him having decent role models, as you pointed out, to understand what he was going through mm-hmm. is real and authentic and that he needed to embrace as opposed to distance himself from, it's not surprising. Which I think just leads to the quiet tragedy of this novel. Mm-hmm. There is no giant heartbreak scene. There is mm-hmm. no traditional moment of sexual or lustful anguish. It just kind of is. And I think that that's so sad. I think I quoted it in season one, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote it again here as well. Sondheim in, in The Musical Company talks about the lead character, Robert, who some have speculated is a gay character, that one of the other characters of him says that he doesn't have the good things in life, he doesn't have the bad things, but he doesn't have the good things. And I think that's really what it is. We've got a character here, Cochan, who's just put himself in limbo. It's the best he's ever going to get. Yep. He either is in limbo or sadness. Just doesn't have the good things. It's interesting that you're quoting from a man who didn't himself find an authentic gay relationship until his 60s, which I'm sure is his own kind of tragedy. And I appreciate what you're saying about the quiet tragedy of this novel, but I also think it is a quiet tragedy that is so prolonged and so unremittent for this character that it becomes deafening because even the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki get a half a sentence mention in this novel. It's very true. His own personal tragedy is so consuming for him that the world literally igniting in a holocaust around him is not enough to shake him free from his own personal thoughts and demons. Well, on that happy note, I think it's time we wrap up this episode. Well, I mean, this wouldn't be a Yukio Mishima episode if we didn't talk about another crazy story from the very real author's life. Then let's have one. So you could be wondering to yourself, okay, Yukio Mishima has already committed ritual suicide after his attempted overthrowing of the Japanese government and restoring of the god emperor to the empire. How much more insane can this real life story be? Well, while he failed to inspire the coup that he had been hoping for, he did inspire this whole new wave of Japanese nationalism. They referred to themselves as the Bushido Romantics, where they really romanticized the samurai way that Yukio Mishima embraced later in his life. And one of his adherents was a Roman porno star. I believe Roman porno was a film subgenre in Japan in the 70s that really focused on the aesthetics of the body. They were better lit than most. There were even a couple that won major film awards in Japan. The man's name was Mitsuyasi Mineo, I believe is how you would pronounce it. And he was so inspired by Yukio Mishima's whole thing, that being Japanese nationalism and overt yet repressed homosexuality, that he decided to pretend that he was on a film set, dress in traditional kamikaze attire, the full aviator outfit with all the uh, accoutrement of, you know, prayer bands and everything like that, walk onto an airfield, say that he was there to film a scene, get a plane from the airport that they just let him have, and then he proceeded to fly to the head of the Yakuza's house in Japan and kamikaze the mansion. Uh, He did this because he felt the Yakuza were the height of the Japanese post-war disgrace and that they were without honor and they were about embracing capitalism and all of these things. 
long story short of it, one of Japan's big gay porn stars got into a plane and kamikaze the Yakuza boss's house. The aftermath is even more interesting because he failed, unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, however you want to look at the loss of human life, at killing anybody in the mm-hmm. uh, kamikaze attack other than himself. Traditionally, if an attack on a Yakuza boss would warrant all of your friends and family being wiped out by the Yakuza, but the Yakuza boss was so impressed by the brazenness of the attack that he ordered that no one be harmed and actually went on to honor this kamikaze assassin in his memoirs. So just, you know, fun craziness that actually came out of this very real life author from Japan. And and we're glad you took the journey with us because sometimes life is stranger than fiction. I think in this case, I've got to agree with you. I think then it is time that we wrap things up. Uh, Zach, how can our listeners stay in touch? Yeah, we would love to hear from you guys. Just reach out to us, litguys at gmail.com, literaryguys on Twitter, on Instagram. Keep in touch with us. Stay with us for our journey. Just enjoying that you guys are along for the ride with us and, and hope to hear more from you in terms of what we should be reading and what we can be talking about. With that, until next time, this has been Literary Guys signing off.